everybody was waiting for that last note. Good morning, church. Um, Juan did such a great job. She almost preached my message there for a second. I was like, oh, that's exactly what I'm going to say. Shh, don't say And what's wonderful is Juan is actually going to be preaching in our series coming up in the summer. So watch out for her. Look out for her. Um, our reading for this morning is from Acts 1, 1 through 11. So I'm going to read this out. Uh, you can close your eyes and take it all in or open your eyes um, however you feel comfortable. Theophilus, I wrote about Jesus in my earlier book. I wrote about all he did and taught until the day he was taken up to heaven. Before Jesus left, he gave orders to the apostles he had chosen. He did this through the Holy Spirit. After his suffering and death, he appeared to them. In many ways, he proved that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. During that time, he spoke about God's kingdom. One day, Jesus was eating with them. He gave them a command. Do not leave Jerusalem, he said. Wait for the gift from my father. The, wait for the gift my father promised. You have heard me talk about it. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then the apostles gathered around Jesus and asked him a question. Lord, they said, are you going to give the kingdom back to Israel now? He said to them, you should not be concerned about times or dates. The Father has set them by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Then you will tell people about me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria. And you will even tell other people about me from one end of the earth to the other. After Jesus said this, he was taken up to heaven. The apostles watched until a cloud hid him from their sight. While he was going up, he kept on, they kept on looking at the sky. Suddenly, two men dressed in white clothing stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking at the sky? Jesus has been taken away from you into heaven, but he will come back in the same way you saw him go. The apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives. So it's a big Sunday today. It's Ascension Sunday. And we are halfway through our Imagine series where we've been calling on you to imagine and to dream with Forefront and um, to think about where do you see this church going over the next 12 months and to partner with us financially to help us get there. It's also Mother's Day. And so we celebrated some of the moms in our community and also recognized how this day might be difficult for some of us. It's, um, it's a difficult day for me for a lot of reasons. Um, I'm a mom, I love being a mom, I have three kids of my own, um, but I have a pretty tense relationship with my own mother because we're really different people. We do things so differently. My mother is a dreamer. She, uh, she likes to think big and she has a big imagination. When she, she'll have this mindset on this goal and then she'll stay up several nights to draw up plans to make this goal happen. And then she'll present this to my brother and I and then we'll shut her down. And then she'll, uh, she'll respond by saying, oh, you know, when your dad was alive, he used to support me and all my dreams, and now he's not here, I feel so lonely. And then so of course my brother and I would feel like crap. And then we'd go, okay, all right, fine. Go and start that organic ca candied nuts business. You know, go and start that catering company. Go and visit that winery in Bulgaria that you're thinking of buying. Yes, that was a dream of hers, and we've managed to prolong that, thank God. 
you know? <laughs> I am the total opposite. I like to play it safe. I like a solid, no-fail plan. I like small, manageable steps before you get to the big goal. Because I don't like to fail, and I think that's smart, small, manageable steps, because then you're less likely to fail, right? So who's a planner like me, who likes to play it safe? Couple people from the back up there. And who's a dreamer who likes to take risks? I'm really glad we have you in our church. You can do all the dreaming for me. So when I read this morning's passage, I felt really confronted by the small-mindedness of the disciples. You see, here they were with Jesus as he was about to perform his last and greatest miracle, his ascension. And he's laying out his plans for them, that they're going to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that would give them the power to heal and perform many, many miracles. So it's a big deal, right? But their mind is thinking small. It's thinking local. It's focused only on reuniting their tribe that has been divided for many centuries. It's focused only on the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. And you know what? I don't blame them, because they've been living all this time under Roman oppression. They were hoping to finally have their land and their city for themselves. This is what they believed that the Messiah would do for them, because this is what they had read in scripture that God would eventually restore their kingdom and they would have power again. Listen to Isaiah 49, 8 through 9. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. And in the day of salvation, I will keep you. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for, for the people, to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritances, to say to the captives, come out, and to those in darkness, be free. So they're standing there on the Mount of Olives, which is a mountain ridge that overlooks the entire city of Jerusalem. And they're remembering teachings such as these, hoping for the freedom of their people and for their home that they're looking at. So I used to live in Hong Kong, and I used to live not too far from this area called the Peak. From the Peak, you could see the entire central business district of Hong Kong. And it's a pretty breathtaking view. There it is. From there, I could point out my apartment building and then count the windows down from the top to my bedroom window. I could point out where my high school was. I could point out where I went to elementary school. I could even point out the field where I played field hockey. I did. It was a brief stint, but I really did play <laughs> field hockey at one point. And so from there, you could even see, see that harbor there in the middle. My favorite part was seeing the ferries go up and down that harbor. So you can imagine I'd take a lot of people who'd come and visit Hong Kong up to the peak so they could see this beautiful city that I loved. I love going up there. I never get bored of it because there's this feeling that comes over you when you can experience the world from this view. Seeing the beauty and the expansion of land is breathtaking. If it's a city that you're familiar with, you begin picking out the places that you're familiar with or where you've been. And you can appreciate the complexity of the infrastructure of the city when you see the overlapping buildings and the winding streets or the little cars that are passing through like little ants. You can fall in love with a city with a view like that. And so I imagine this for the disciples and for Jesus for every time they crossed the Mount of Olives when they made the two-mile journey between Bethany and Jerusalem. I imagine their breath being taken away every time they saw this view of the city that they loved. 
I imagine the times that Jesus preached on the Mount of Olives that he preached with the panoramic view of Jerusalem as his backdrop. This is the same view that Jesus and his disciples saw when they made that journey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, crying out, Hosanna to the King of Kings, hopeful that this King would give them freedom from Roman oppression. This is the same view that Jesus and his disciples saw the night before his crucifixion when they were praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And then in anticipation of his arrest the next day, I imagine this view gave them hope. Because this city was part of the promised land that God had given to the tribes of Israel. It was in this city that the ancient Jews celebrated their glory days with King David as their king, but then was later destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. And this same city that God promised would be restored along with the kingdom of Israel. This city was now under Roman rule. So here they are. They're looking at their city. They're excited for their independence and freedom to come that had been promised to them from Scripture. But then Jesus calls them out of their small-mindedness and calls them into imagining a restoration that goes beyond just their city of Jerusalem that they're gazing upon. He says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, I'm surprised that even after following Jesus so closely for so long and then listening him speak about the kingdom of God for the past 40 days, that they are still so focused on just one thing, one central thing, and that is the restoration of their, of their kingdom, the restoration of Israel. It's still focused just on their tribe. How is it that even after witnessing Jesus in his ministry for three years, witnessing him serve the Jews as well as the Gentiles, witnessing him perform many, many miracles, that the question on their mind was still, when's my freedom coming? When is my city coming back to me? When am I getting my land back? You know what, though? If I were in the disciples' shoes and was suddenly told that my scope of work had been expanded, I probably would have freaked out. Especially if, after being presented this task, my boss just up and left. Like literally, up and left and ascended into heaven. No game plan, no step-by-step -step procedure. I would have freaked out. Actually, you know what? Jesus did leave an outline of a plan. He did say Jerusalem, Judea, and then Samaria, so I shouldn't be complaining, right? No, he up and left, and left the most vague goal imaginable, to the ends of the earth? And then what? <laughs> what are we supposed to do then? So I can empathize when the scriptures say that the disciples are left just standing there looking at the sky, staring at the very spot where Jesus has ascended to. Because if it were me, I'd be thinking, oh, well, that's not much of a plan. What are we going to do now? Well, what if we fail? But we've got to remember that this account wasn't written in real time. Luke, the same person who wrote the gospel according to Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. And he wrote this some 30 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. So 30 years or so had passed before he felt the need to write about this specific moment. 
So we've got to think, what was happening 30 years on that prompted Luke to write about this conversation that the disciples were having with Jesus? What was going on that prompted Luke to begin writing about this event? It's possible that, so when we think about what was going on 30 years, we can see that the early, the early church hadn't had the easiest journey in that time. Although they had expanded through Judea and Samaria, they were scattered. They had experienced persecution, imprisonment, death by stoning. They were scattered, and so the people couldn't see any, any kind of indication of their tribe coming together again. So it's possible that 30 years on, Luke might have felt the need to remind the Jews, the Jesus, remind Jesus' followers of the mission that Jesus had in the midst of dark times, when they couldn't see the restoration of their kingdom in sight, to remind them that their vision is meant to be greater, that Jesus had left them with a bigger goal, to reach people beyond their beloved city of Jerusalem that they were gazing on. In a time when it was easy to begin losing faith, Luke wrote to the followers of Jesus with the intention to demonstrate that Jesus' Jesus's mission was advancing even without him there, that the Holy Spirit was moving amongst the disciples, that the early church had expanded through Judea and Samaria, that they were even through trial and persecution. They did it. They reached so far until the ends of the earth. And so what is the ends of the earth? To the followers of Jesus, the ends of the earth was the boundaries around the historic tribe of the Israelites, the boundaries that made up their land. So what was past their land? It was the Romans. And so who were the Romans? Their oppressors, their enemies. And so where had the gospel expanded to by the time Luke had written this account? it had expanded to Rome, far greater than just the land of Israel. So when Luke writes about the disciples asking Jesus, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He is addressing the doubt that Jesus' followers might be experiencing, the doubt because their personal desires hadn't been met. He is reminding them to imagine beyond just political freedom. Imagine bigger. Imagine restoration going beyond, extending beyond political freedom. Imagine restoration including people beyond their tribe, beyond the boundaries of Judea and Samaria, including inclusive of people throughout the ends of the earth, even to include their oppressors. How could they even comprehend that? That's tough. That's hard to imagine. So it doesn't surprise me when moments after Jesus lays down this plan, um, they freeze. And two angels appear and say to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go. They're saying, Hey man, wake up! Didn't, what are you staring at? Didn't you hear the game plan? Jesus left, but he's coming back in the same way. Luke is reminding the, Jesus, reminding the reader, Jesus left, but the ascension signals the passing on of a baton, where we have now been commissioned. 
that Jesus will send the Holy Spirit and that the disciples will now be his witnesses to continue to do his work. John 14, 12 says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater than these, because I am going to my Father. So Jesus had commissioned the disciples to do even greater, to imagine even greater than impacting just their kingdom or just their tribe, just their city and their people. And even today, 2,000 years later, we still need to be reminded to imagine even greater. And so when I think about my mother, there's something really admirable about her ability to dream and to imagine beyond comprehension. And she does so without thinking about the hurdles that she might face. And because she has the ability to do this, she can see things that I can't see. So growing up, I couldn't even see myself graduating college. In fact, I don't even know how I managed to finish high school, seriously. I just about scraped by um, and got uh, the qualifications to be able to apply to an Australian university. I couldn't apply in Hong Kong because my grades weren't good enough. I couldn't apply to the UK. But, and I wasn't about to try to apply here. There was no way I was sitting the SATs. So, <laughs> great job for you guys for doing that. Um, anyway, so in my small-mindedness and in my 18-year-old self, I'd somehow, I thought, okay, what I'll do is I'll apply to the smallest, most isolated city in the world where no one will go to, and so the competition won't be so fierce, right? So it'll be a breeze to get by college. And it was, it was good, I had a good time. I got through it. <laughs> but my small-mindedness plagued me the entire way through, and it still plagued me after. And so three years ago, I was offered a job uh, at this church to, start the, to continue the children's ministry as a children's ministry director. So, and it was easy. The ministry was set up, the families were there, and they were committed. The programming was there, the volunteers were there. All I had to do was to keep it going. But then, uh, a little less than 12 months in, I was told that we were going to have budget cuts. And so now I had to find a different curriculum. I also was told that because of the budget cuts, we'd have less time to set up in the morning. And along with that, unrelated, I was also told that a lot of families were going to be leaving New York City. And so there went my volunteers. I thought, okay, that's fine. I'll work with this. And so I did. I stripped down children's ministry down to the bare minimum to make the most out of our limited resources, limited time, and limited space, and limited number of volunteers. So you can see a photo of that. There's me taking the photo, and then one other volunteer, and all the kids in one class learning one lesson. So the children's ministry stayed at this level for a little while until a bunch of families came up to me and they told me that they were expecting. And so I started counting, and I counted. This church was expecting 13 babies in the space of 12 months. Talk about freaking out. So then now I needed to make space, find programming, train volunteers, all in anticipation of these 13 babies coming through. In my small mind, I thought, this is impossible. I have no money. How am I going to do this? Where am I going to start? I couldn't even comprehend what would be the first step. But this church did. This church 
raised $6,000 for Kids Stuff alone. Kids Stuff is our children's programming. And we use these funds to beautify our space, to buy a diversity of books with diverse people in them. We found curriculum that was exciting for them, exciting to teach and exciting for the children to engage in. We bought resources to carry out these activities on a Sunday morning. Forefront dreamt so big that we were able to serve not just the families in our church, but also the families in our community. And we, so we hosted a few Easter egg hunts. This church reminded me to have a greater vision that went beyond just the children on Sunday mornings. It all, and because of that, it also gave the children vision that went beyond themselves. It gave them vision for their community and for their city. So Kids Stuff Kids and their families, they serve our family ministry, but they also serve their church community. They serve in the worship, the worship team, the greeting team, the prayer team, and the teardown team. They even search in their they serve in their community through their, our Easter egg hunts. They serve in our community last Saturday at our day of service with the Arab American Family Support Center. Four-year-old Charlotte served alongside her mom making sandwiches. And then Asha, Lila, and Kayla, three Kid Stuff kids, brought friends to come and serve at a community garden. That's pretty amazing. So their service went beyond themselves. It went beyond this church and into their community. So when we reflect on the ascension, we are reminded that the gospel message isn't, doesn't just stop at the resurrection. It doesn't stop at the, at the restoration of self. It continues through to the ascension. And it, the continuous ascension that happens daily, that invites us into imagining a greater vision. Embracing community as Jesus did by imagining a mission that goes beyond ourselves and our self-interest but goes and reaches to the well-being of others, to the well-being of strangers, especially those that are marginalized, caring for the well-being of maybe even our, our enemies, thinking about our community, our environment, the earth that we live in. And I love how Rob Bell talks about this in his podcast. The episode is called, She Thought He Was the Gardener. And so he talks about how many sermons surrounding Easter time, uh, focus on forgiveness. But that doesn't cover the entirety of the gospel message. So he says, now that you're forgiven, then what do you do? How about throw yourself into making a new world, in joining a new creation? And that's the mission that Jesus leaves his disciples. He says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So then from, about, from atop that mount, the Mount of Olives, where they can see their home, when they see their world and their people, they see that because they are worth saving, that their home and their community and beyond are worth saving too. That this is now the time for new creation. So in observing this, the ascension, we can imagine beyond the boundaries of our understanding, beyond the limits of our mind, beyond what we can comprehend. God sows 
a vision in us beyond what we think we're capable of. So whether that's getting that degree, or that job, or going for that home, or that career path, imagine bigger. And then so in far, as far as this church, you've been all writing notes in these post-it notes. You've been writing what you imagine for where our church will go. And I've been really encouraged by these notes because a lot of them express a vision that go beyond the boundaries of this church to reach our city and to do more in the work of social justice and more in serving the marginalized. You desire a greater vision that goes beyond just forefront. You imagine an expression of Christ's love and generosity reaching out to the marginalized who have limited support systems and continuing in that ministry that Jesus started. And Forefront does this. We do this when we give to Left Hand Church, a church plant in Colorado, because they too are continuing in that mission. So listen to this. Just as the disciples went, went to Jerusalem and then from there went out to Judea and Samaria, we too continue in Jesus' mission here when we start in Forefront Brooklyn and then give to a church in Longmont, Colorado, a church that serves the marginalized, that is open and affirming to the LGBTQIA community, that church that is working towards and is committed to racial reconciliation. We, we need to continue in that ministry because the ascension is about Jesus handing over his ministry in his absence. Jesus couldn't reach the ends of the earth in his human body, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can. And we have been for the past 2,000 years. When we believe in the miracle of the ascension, then we have to continue in Jesus' ministry. And now I know that sounds pretty scary. It sounds big and overwhelming. I'd be freaked out too. But here's what you can do. I'm someone who likes steps and processes, so here's step one. Here's what you can do. Yes, I do. <laughs> now, can you imagine? Can you imagine what would we do if we had the means to do more? What could we achieve? Who, who would we reach? Where can we take our ministries? On your seats, you have some post-it notes, and so I invite you to imagine what it would look like if we could ascend and envision our church going beyond the boundaries of our mind. Write down what that looks like. And some people from first service has, have already started us off. Now, as you're writing these down, I imagine that you'd want to see these dreams come true, right? I don't want to just stare at these dreams. I want to see them come to fruition, which takes me to step two. Here's what you can do. You can partner with us financially and give towards our Imagine campaign so that we can see these visions through together. You can either make a recurring gift so we can plan and budget for the next 12 months. You know I'm gonna love that. Or you can give a one-time gift because in partnering with this church, you are continuing in that mission that Jesus left for us. Just as Jesus commissioned his disciples, we too as a church have been commissioned we too have been commissioned to continue in his ministry. So let's do this together. Let's see these dreams through together so we can continue on from what Jesus started. Let's pray, everyone. Dear God, I thank you, God, that you dream big 
and you dreamt big enough to birth this church, this church forefront Brooklyn, that you placed here in this community for a reason. And I pray, God, that as we write down these dreams we have for Forefront Brooklyn, that you sow those seeds within us and give us faith to see these dreams, to see these dreams through and envision them happening. Give us dreams that are greater and bigger beyond what we can imagine. In your name we pray, amen.